This is Focal Point for Thursday the 6th of August 2009. We're talking about online music. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira for this week's edition. Hello Chris, how are you going? Very well, thanks Gihan. How are you? I'm happy. So this week, Chris, we're going to be talking about something that you've got a very big interest in, which is music, and in particular, we're going to be talking about online music. And I know that you have for a long time been involved in offline music, so with your CD collection and even with online websites that help people trade CDs. And so today I thought I'd be the interviewer, you can be the expert, and we'll talk a little bit about what's happening with online music, because it's very big at the moment online music falls into two categories, the, the acquisition category and the access category. Do you want to explain what that means? Sure. It's, um, it's, it's the old school versus what's the new school. So the acquisition model that we're, is, is like the traditional model where you go to your record store or your CD store and you buy the music and you acquire it for yourself and it becomes part of your collection. And that's pretty much what I've been doing ever since I started getting interested in collecting CDs and so forth. And, you, and that's now moved online. Rather than actually buying a physical copy of a recording, you can go to an online music store and download an audio file, and then you store that on either a portable, portable music player or on your hard disk, and you listen to it when you want to. So that's the acquisition model, so acquiring music. But what's developing now is more of an access model. So rather than actually owning a recording, you listen to a recording that's streamed to you from the Internet. So there are plenty of uh, services developing out there where you can visit a website and type in the name of an artist, uh, and when it's found, you can actually listen to uh, music by that artist, and it's streamed to you uh, via the internet. But you don't actually retain a copy of that recording, you just listen to it on demand. And that seems to be where things are heading uh, now with the rise of ubiquitous high-quality broadband, something we hope to have in Australia one day. Um, it's becoming more possible for us to listen to CD-quality recordings, have them streamed to us and listen to them in real time, but never actually have a copy of the recording itself. So is it, is it the same as saying it's buy versus rent or buy versus lease? It is, it is a bit like that, but um, a lot of the actual access services are completely free, so it's, it's, it's not even pay per play, which is like the rental model. You can listen to these recordings for free, and we had a podcast a few episodes ago that talked about free being the new business model, and that's also where the access type um, music model is headed. So this is one of the things that the recording industry is worried by and big music labels are worried by because they're thinking they're losing their main revenue stream, the sales of CDs and sales of tracks because people are getting them free. Yeah, that's right. So there's been this steady decline in CD sales over the past few years. At the same time, that's been um, buffeted or buffered a bit by um, an increase in downloadable music sales, but it's the, it's not making up for the decline in CD sales. But the flip side to that is that people are still still have money to spend. And so I read recently, I, I can't find the citation, but I read recently at the same time as there being an overall decline in the sales of acquisition of music, things like merchandise and concert ticket sales are increasing. So the overall amount of money that consumers are willing to spend on music is probably staying the same. They're just not spending as much on acquiring music recordings. 
And one of the things I'm sure is uh, is scaring the record companies is that they might be losing their cat because now independent musicians can put their own music online and people are happy to pay. In fact, consumers might be happier to pay the artist directly rather than having to pay for a CD and knowing that some, the artist only gets a small percentage of that. Yeah, and that's all part of the um, the upload culture that Web 2.0 has brought about, that artists can cut out the middleman, so to speak, and they can make their recordings available directly to the public on websites that they've set up or via the various community, uh, the various um, sharing websites. So, again, the, the, the traditional recording industry are a bit frightened by that prospect. So let's talk about these two things, Chris. So again, we've got acquisition, which is like owning it, and access, which is like using it. You've got access to it and you can use it when you want. And I think uh, uh, we'll get to this later, but one of the things to keep in mind is that most people, when they hear about those two models, they will automatically think that owning it means that you've got it and you can hold it in your hands and you've got it forever. So like you buy a CD, you've got that CD as long as you've got a CD player to play it on. And there's some little wrinkles that mean that they may not be true with online music but we'll get to that we'll get to that later so let's talk sure. about the acquisition model first chris so this is where you can go and buy music and presumably download it to your computer to your ipod to your iphone and you have access to it forever yeah okay so as i said there are um online music stores where you can go and buy um audio files from uh, the most uh, well known of those is apple's itunes store um, and then Amazon recently, uh, not recently, but a couple of years ago now, they opened up um, Amazon MP3, which sells the MP3 music format file. Um, but unfortunately, that's still not available in Australia. There's a, a US version of it. I think there's also a United Kingdom version and maybe a couple of European versions of the Amazon MP3 store. Um, but uh, Big Pond, owned by Telstra in Australia, they've recently set up Big Pond Music. So you can go there and type in an artist's name and buy and um, buy files from them. And there's another service that emerged, emerged recently in Australia called Get Music that was promoted heavily by eBay. Um, it, in fact, it gave the impression that you could buy them through eBay, but it was just like a link to the Get Music website. Um, so, yeah, again, there's a couple of big stores available in Australia for our Australian audience if you want to go and buy music files online. And there are many more emerging all the, all the time. So there are, like, uh, websites devoted to small independent artists or particular music genres or um, small record labels who are selling direct to the public. You go to their store and you can buy tracks um, directly from them. Okay. And uh, the so you're talking about people buying tracks directly, but there are also subscription services, aren't there, where you can subscribe and then download as much as you like? Yeah, I've... I've I've, I've heard of these services and I know of these services, so, so Napster is one and Rhapsody is another, but I've not found one uh, that is offered in Australia. So a lot of these services, the online music stores and the subscription-based services, they seem to have a particular um, national jurisdiction. So like Amazon MP3 is only available in the US, Big Pond Music is only available in Australia, and I guess that's because they have deals with the big recording industry associations of those countries or perhaps with the big record labels that permit them only to deal with uh, people who are located in a particular country. So as such, I've not come across a subscription service available to Australian users. So if any of our listeners uh, know of one, I'd be interested in hearing about it. 
Okay, so so most of it is just paper track or paper album. And actually, that's, a, that's an interesting difference, isn't it? Because paper track, so the iTunes store, I think is $1.69 per track. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I think it's really interesting the way that the culture of music purchasing has changed, whereas in the past we had to buy a CD and we may have only wanted one, two, three, or you know, at most half the tracks on there. So in a way, you're subsidizing the, the weak songs by buying the whole CD. And now I think the culture's changed where you can buy just the track you're in- interested in rather than buying the whole CD. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting to see how that's going to sh- uh, shape al- album sales in the future or album development in the future because, as you say, there's, some albums have quite a bit of filler. You might not want to have them, and so you only pay for the tracks you want. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, music is recorded in the future as online music uh, takes the place of physical media. And I'm sure that must have been a big part of the the marketing and the revenue streams of record companies. I remember when I bought Billy Joel's Greatest Hits album, which you probably got as well, Chris. I think it was it was a three CD set uh-huh. and it had all the stuff from, oh, well, the greatest hits from past uh, albums that he'd released, plus two or three new songs. And if you wanted the new songs, you had to buy the whole album. And uh, if you'd already had all the all the old songs and you're a Billy Joel fan and you're a collector, then you had to get it anyway because that was the only place where you could buy those new songs. And that revenue stream is no longer available if, if people are able to buy tracks one at a time. Yeah, and you feel like you've been gouged a bit when you had to go and buy an entire album just to get uh, two or three single tracks that uh, you hadn't heard before. So, yeah, people now have the freedom that they don't have to go and buy an entire album. They can just pick out the tracks that they actually want, which is I think is uh, much better for the consumer. Well, let's talk about something else then. If you're talking about freedom, what about uh, free tracks? What about free music that people can download or share through peer-to-peer networks? Or, yeah, there, there are a lot of ways that people can get free music now. Yeah, there are. So Amazon MP3, I've subscribed to their um, newsletter, even though I can't download any of their music. <laughs> um, but uh, they often uh, have promotions where you can get free tracks, and so does Big Pond Music as well. So they often have free tracks available, just one or two tracks from a new album or an emerging artist. But uh, a lot of people are probably aware of this, that out there on the various file-sharing networks, the peer-to-peer networks, as they're called, um, you can get entire albums for free. So what's that all about? Well, what it's about is people have gone and uh, ripped their um, CDs or whatever to, uh, to audio files, and then they've made them available on file-sharing networks. And in general, that is uh, it's illegal, and I'd discourage people from participating in that um, because... As if you, if you're using file sharing software, often the files that you're downloading are then in turn made available to other people on the peer to peer network. So you're actually making available material that's copyrighted and that's where you're uh, stepping over the line in terms of what's legal and what's, uh, what's not. So, um, I discourage people from being tempted by the lure of free downloadable music offered on peer to peer file sharing networks. Um, because as I say, it's, it's in general, it's, you're participating in something that's illegal. Um, and the recording industry are pursuing file sharers fairly aggressively. So particularly in the United States, there's some very high profile cases there of people who have, um, have sort of just done casual file sharing, but possibly inadvertently made available a lot of tracks in their music collection. And uh, the recording industry has tracked them down and has really gone after them a big time. 
another year. I are uh, big fans of the recording industry and their and their practices, Chris. But I think we'd both well, I'd, I'd agree with you. Like, if you're getting music illegally free, then you shouldn't be doing that. Ethically and morally, it's wrong, and uh, it is a problem. And we don't like the way that the recording industry is pursuing and aggressively pursuing individuals just to make a point because that's what they're doing mm-hmm. but equally we don't think that those consumers should have been doing it in the first place yeah yeah and i think in some cases people aren't aware that when they're downloading stuff they're in turn making it available so that's uh, that's the dangerous part of uh, participating in uh, that kind of activity that's right from a legal viewpoint <laughs> yes yes but from an ethical viewpoint they shouldn't be downloading it in the first place that's right yeah. But having said having said that, there are exceptions. Just because um, something is made available for download for free, uh, there are some works, some audio works and video as well, that are licensed in a fashion that does allow you to download it for free and, in turn, um, make it available to others um, and even modify it, mash it up, um, use it in other works, use it as a soundtrack to a, a video clip or whatever. Um, so that sort of music is available, and typically they're licensed under the Creative Commons licenses that we spoke about in uh, another podcast. Yeah, that's right. We'll include a link to that podcast because that's a whole new area, and so it's, a, it's an area worth considering because, as you say, there are people who are legally making their music available. And in fact, even small independent artists sometimes make their music available online free knowing that they'll build up a fan base they'll build up a community a tribe of people who are happy to who who like their stuff and will therefore that'll increase concert sales and merchandise sales and other things and maybe even increase the chance of them then getting a recording contract precisely yep that's that's working for a lot of small artists and even a couple of big artists um have done that as well so um I mentioned, I think, in another podcast, uh, one of the bands I'm into, Radiohead, their last album, they made that available online, direct to the public, um, for as much as you wanted to pay, and a lot of people paid zero pennies. And uh, then when they finally released it on CD, their CD sales were phenomenal. They outsold all of their previous albums combined sort of thing, um, just through that kind of clever promotion. Yeah, great. Now, we shouldn't leave this topic before talking about DRM, digital rights management. It's probably one of the most controversial areas of online music and actually online downloads in general. So what is it? And is it a good thing? I think we both think it's a, not, not such a good thing. But let's, t- let's briefly cover that, Chris. Cause it's That's, right. <laughs> That's right. I've, I've defined it as technology that punishes legal fans of music. And essentially, for practical purposes, that's what it is. So it's a technology that um, is applied to music files that tries to prevent you from um, sharing it or doing anything illegal with it. So, for instance, um, you download a particular audio file, but you have to, to listen to it, you have to play it through a particular piece of software, and that software does things like check that it's properly licensed, that you are the owner of it, um, and you can't copy it to another device and those sorts of things. So it puts in place a, a series of encumbrances to try and protect that particular audio file. But unfortunately, the reality is that it makes it puts in place of people who have acquired the music legally a whole lot of encumbrances and difficulties and annoyances. And at the end of the day, the pirates who are intent on actually um, breaching that copyright are able to circumvent it and go about uh, go about um, um, sharing that file or, or, or doing whatever they wanted to do with it um, regardless. Okay, so again, if I take the opposite view, the recording industry's view is that 
you say, Chris, that you're downloading this to your PC because you're going to copy it to your iPod and iPhone, and therefore you should have the right to do that because it's your iPod and your iPhone. But the recording industry says, well, how do we know that you're not copying it to your friend's iPod or their iPhone? And they're right, and you're right. So you both have like legitimate claims. It's just the fact that DRM doesn't work, which means uh, that it's punishing legal fans, as, as the way you put it. Yeah, that's right, exactly. Okay, so D- and DRM's a problem because it seems that the recording industry is so hell-bent on um, enforcing it that they come up with some ludicrous statements. So I read an article last week where I think it was a lawyer um, speaking on behalf of the recording industry saying that you know, if you download something with, with digital rights management, then periodically, as you said, the software will check with the server to make sure that it's still licensed. But if the company that runs the server goes out of business, then your music will stop playing. <laughs> and uh, this lawyer says, well, that's that's fine. That You shouldn't be expected to have music permanently just because you bought it once. And to me, that's a ludicrous statement. If you buy a CD once, as long as you've got a CD player that can play it, you should be able to play it. Yeah, that's right. And uh, it's not just a hypothetical. It's something that has happened in the past and is going to continue to happen. Walmart um, started selling music online and it was encumbered with DRM that did exactly that. It checked with a server and um, made sure that the, the, the license was intact and was, was legal. Um, and those servers are going to be switched off later this year because uh, Walmart have found that it's just too expensive to keep maintaining that in perpetuity. So they're going to switch off those servers and all the users who bought that those music files will find that they can no longer play them. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's something to be avoided. And recently it was reported that the American recording industry had declared DRM to be dead, um, although they've since backed away from uh, the word dead. So... It's going to be around for some time to come, and I would caution anyone who's considering buying music that is encumbered with DRM to uh, avoid it like the plague for the reasons we've just specified. And fortunately, most online stores now have recognised the problems associated with DRM, and most of their um, audio files are DRM-free. So Amazon MP3, um, iTunes, most of their collection, if not all, is now um, DRM-free. Same with Big Pond Music. Well, it makes sense if, because if the system doesn't work, as you said, hackers can get around it and it's just making life difficult for legitimate users. Well, there's no point having it. They, they could make an argument that if the system worked, then there could be some argument and we might still disagree with it, but they, they could make an argument that way. Um, a similar example, Chris, not in the online music world, but with online books happened recently with Amazon and their Kindle. I don't know whether you heard the story of the, the book yes. 1984, yes. which I think... I'm not sure whether it was available free, but certainly lots of lots of Kindle users, um, which is Amazon's ebook reader, lots of them downloaded that ebook, uh, the, which was George Orwell's novel 1984, and apparently the publishers had not had the right to publish it, or they complained to Amazon, and then Amazon went through, uh, you know, when they when people connected their Kindle to the to the internet, they uh, Amazon deleted the book from everybody's Kindle, everybody who had legitimately downloaded it. Yeah, very scary. Yeah, so that's an example of where you acquire something, but just because you've got it doesn't mean that you own it. Um, the, the the publisher or the owner or the, the distributor can still reach into your technology and delete things without your permission. 
Yeah, and there's um, when it comes to online uh, acquiring online music, there are various services called um, music lockers, and they're uh, like a service where you can upload your music to a website and then access it um, from the cloud, so to speak. So we'll, we'll talk about access in a moment, but this is more about music that you've acquired. Um, but that sort of thing can happen with music, even if it isn't uh, encumbered with DRM. Uh, it's put into a locker somewhere, and then if the owner of that locker decides that that's music you shouldn't have, then they're within well, it's within their ability to remove those those files from the locker. So in that situation, um, are you saved because you've got the music on? You've already downloaded, so you've got a backup copy anyway. Hopefully, you've got a backup copy anyway. Yeah. But some of the the the, the stores. When you buy the music, it, it goes into your locker, and it's up to you then to make a, uh, get a local copy of it. Right. So let's talk about the other side of it, Chris. So let's talk about access, where you don't actually download or have a copy of the music physically or electronically, if you like, but it's you access it whenever you want to. Yeah, so that's right. So you listen on demand, and it's streamed from some server out there on the Internet. So it's an example of cloud computing that we spoke about in a previous episode of Focal Point. And uh, there are quite a few uh, services offering this sort of thing. In fact, um, Rhapsody and Napster, who also sell downloadable music, they also have uh, streaming music as well. So the most popular music streaming service that I'm aware of is Last.fm. I've been a member of uh, Last.fm since 2006. And you basically go to the site, create an account, and then you can do a variety of things, and it will create what is called a radio station for you, and it will then stream music from that radio station to you. So it's like an online radio station that's being personalized by you. And you can personalize it by, say, typing in a genre that you're interested in or a series of artists that you're interested in. Um, and another clever thing that it will do is that you can download a plug-in for your media player on your PC or your, on your iPhone or iPod, and then whenever you listen to a track, say downloaded music or a CD that you're playing, it will let Last.fm know about it, and it will then compile a list of all the music that you've been listening to, and then based on that, it'll get a profile of your musical tastes, and then when you uh, want to stream music from Last.fm, it'll use that profile to play tracks that it thinks you might like. And that works really well. So um, I was listening to Last.fm uh, recently, and it was playing various tracks that I already had in my music collection because I'd used this plugin to inform Last.fm of the music that I listened to. That's a, that's a really nice feature, and we should talk about that in a future podcast, Chris, the idea of being able to, that software that's now able to recommend things for you. I notice when I when I log into my Amazon.com account, it often recommends things, and it's um, it's quite impressive and a little bit scary at how accurate its recommendations are, that, it, that they're quite interested in the things that it recommends. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very clever. And Last.fm also has a social networking aspect to it whereby you um, have a neighborhood. So you, you create friends, a bit like friends on Facebook, except that they're generally not people that you know. Instead, they're people who have similar musical tastes and interests to you. And then you can create a radio station based on the, uh, what your neighbors are listening to. And it can also recommend friends to you based on similarities between your musical tastes. Right, right. So how do they make money? Is it, does it cost you money to set up an account? 
Now, it's it's one of the examples of the freemium business model, whereby there are free services. They're the ones that I use, a basic service that costs nothing at all. Um, and then there's a premium service. I think it's about three or four US dollars per month, whereby you can do things like stream music. I'm guessing now, but I think. For instance, one thing I can't do is if I want to listen to a particular album by a particular artist, I can't do that. I can only, say, type in Coldplay and it'll play music that's from Coldplay and similar artists. I can't really, I can't have fine-grained control over what I listen to. I think their, their freemium business model, sorry, their premium service might allow you to do things like that, but be more focused in what you get played to you. And they, amazing. Just yeah. amazing, isn't it, that you can... that. The, the internet now allows people to have successful business models, because last event has been around for a while, based on this freemium model where 99% plus of users pay nothing, but the, the very small percentage who do pay make it a viable business model. That's right. And the other thing that the, the other way they generate sales is that whenever they play you a track, they provide a link where you can go, when you can click on it and actually purchase and download, you can acquire the, uh, the audio file itself. Right, which is good, and I can imagine myself doing that because I'd, yeah. I'd want to have a local copy. So, even when I'm not connected to the internet or not anywhere near any sort of net-connected device, I still want to listen to the music. Yeah, so that's something we can talk about in uh, at the end of this section about the advantages and disadvantages. But yes, at the moment, um, most players for Last.fm would be on a desktop PC or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, there are these free sites as well, and I think, I'm, I'm not sure whether I'm the one who referred you to blip.fm, but I came across it um, some months ago, and that seems to be like last.fm, but it's free, and it's um, it's playing licensed music. Yes, it is, but I, I'm curious as to, so, so I see blip.fm as being like uh, a parallel to YouTube, except it's mm. for audio rather than for video. Mm, so Exactly. You can upload tracks to it and then share them with people on Blip.fm. Is that is that your take on Blip.fm? I think that's exactly right. It's like YouTube for audio, but it's uh, because very few people create audio apart from music. Apart from music, there's very little other audio that people create. I mean, we, we're doing a podcast here. There are some there are some experts and professionals who do podcasts, but apart from that. It's, it's music, and generally I would assume that there's a much higher proportion of illegally uploaded audio on Blip.fm than there is illegally uploaded video on YouTube. Yeah, that, that's my take on it too. So um, it's, it's worth visiting and taking a look at that, and, and I'll do that as well and see, see what my take on it is. But my assumption is that if you're listening to an album by a mainstream artist on Blip.fm, it hasn't been uploaded by that artist, and as such it's probably uh, breaching copyright. And presumably with Last.fm, they're doing it legally, aren't they, Chris? They must have some sort of deal, just like a radio station does, to pay royalties. That's right, they do, yep. In fact, I think Last.fm has recently been acquired by one of the large um, record labels. Oh, that's interesting. So does that mean that they're only playing that label's music, or can you still get access to everything? You can still get access to everything. I just guess they have, when it comes to playing music from that particular label, then... Um, uh, there's there's no cost. They also do a thing called recommendations. Um, so, and that's tracks that um, generally are for sale. And so they might spruik their own artists ahead of artists on other labels. Mm. Okay, okay. So you so you, you preempted that we we're going to talk about advantages and disadvantages of the access versus the acquisition module, Chris. So let's do that as we finish up. 
Okay, so yeah, so one of the advantages that I see to the access model is that um, it's obviously much cheaper, especially when you're using the free services, um, although we did talk about free music out there um, that you can acquire as well. Um, and it's also much easier. I mean, all you need to do is go to Last FM, set up an account, and then type in a few indicators of your musical tastes, and away you go. And there are other other services I should mention. There's a, a European one called Spotify.fm, as well as a US-only one called Pandora. So in each case, it's just a matter of visiting the website and uh, maybe maybe getting an account and then um, typing in some indicators of what your musical taste is, and away you go. So it's cheap, even free, and easy. And all the advantages of cloud computing apply to these services, don't they? So you could be traveling and you don't have an iPod or an iPhone or anything else, but you can still connect to your service. Well, I guess you have to connect to the Internet, but once you're connected, then you've got access to your account. You don't have to take your CD collection with you. Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, all of my music collection probably would fit on a portable music device, one of the larger hard disks, um, but I don't have it on one of them. I've got, the, got it on a hard disk on my desktop PC, so if I'm travelling, then I need, to, uh, I need to transfer those files across to the, the MP3 player and away I go, whereas with uh, access models, yeah, you just need a, a broadband internet connection and you're off. Yes, and on the other side, of course, all the disadvantages of cloud computing also apply here. So the fact that if somebody decides to switch off their bit of the cloud, you lose that account. Exactly, and that would be particularly painful if this is a service that you've subscribed to. So, um, yeah, if you've got... um if, if you're relying on a service that you've paid money for and suddenly they say uh, game over or they crank up their, their premiums, then you're, you, you've lost all that. And, of course, the other thing is that you need, you need access to a broadband, broadband network. So if you're in your car at the moment, you can't necessarily get access to uh, uh, broadband unless you've got a, a wireless broadband service. And with time, those sorts of things are going to become ubiquitous. Yes, okay, that's an interesting point. So what you're saying is that because you you only get it streaming, you can't ever download it and burn a CD to play in your car. Exactly, yeah. You haven't got a copy of that file. You ha- it has to be streamed to you, and you have to have a broadband connection to support a high-quality transmission of the audio. Okay, and as you said at the start, that's going to become more and more common and available as we get broadband access and as we get more net-connected devices like cars. <laughs> that's right, exactly. Good. Any last comments, Chris, and what you'd recommend for people who haven't, haven't done either? Should they start with one or the other? And if they've done one, should they try the other? Yeah, exactly. I think you should try both. Um, and if you've not tried something like um, streaming music from the cloud, then go and visit Last.fm, or if you're in the US, try Pandora, or if you're in Europe, try Spotify. Yeah, go out there and have a go. And if you want to try the the acquisition model, obviously is a good place to start is the iTunes store, which is ninety nine cents in the US, a dollar sixty nine in Australia, just to buy a couple of tracks and experience it. Absolutely. Great. Well, thanks very much for sharing, Chris. I know it's one of your passions, music. So, thanks very much for sharing uh, the development in the last decade or so. Uh, no worries, Gihan. I'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks' time. Okay. Speak to you then. Bye. You've been listening to the Focal Point podcast. You can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to all our past issues, or leave us your comments and questions. We look forward to having you back next time. <laughs>